Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 381st episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who witnessed the power of growing food for his community. We're talking with Elias Martinez about indoor farming without barriers. Elias grew up around urban farming and gardening in a rough part of Miami called Opalaca. He is the son of immigrant parents who left Cuba and the Dominican Republic for political and opportunity reasons. As a child and teenager, he was introduced to urban farming and gardening by his grandfather who fled Cuba during the Castro regime. Elias witnessed the power that growing food for the community can have after his mother presented neighbors with fresh fruits and vegetables grown in their garden. So he started cubed root to create an ecosystem in which people can grow their own food and make money from it with little or no barriers to entry. Welcome to the show today, Elias. Are you ready to rock the indoor garden? Let's rock it. Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Like you've mentioned, my grandfather, 
he came from Cuba. We grew up in a rough part of Miami, and we had one of the only houses with a large yard, which sort of brought a lot of jealousy in the nearby area just because a lot of the people that lived around us, they lived in apartments. So there was a lot of jealousy about the size of the yard that we had. So he started growing fruits and vegetables there just as a hobby. And one day my mother decided to bring some fruits and vegetables to the neighbors. It was basically projects, what we had in our backyard. Uh She decided to go do a little bit of neighborly things, just going there and and providing them with some fruits and vegetables just because we had so much. I'm not a religious person, but I was raised as a Christian, as a Baptist, and she was Christian. And She took it over there and everybody just loved the fruits and vegetables. Everybody loved her. She was able to just make amends with everybody in in the surrounding areas there. She was even able to bring a few of them to Christ where one of them even became a pastor. Wow. Yeah. And it was crazy how just building a relationship through fruits and vegetables, what kind of a power it can have. You know, you can just change somebody's life like that. You know, that was me witnessing that from a young age. And from there, we ended up moving to the Redlands area of Miami-Dade County. It was right after Hurricane Andrew. So all the land and stuff was cheap over there. We bought two and a half acre lot with a house on it. We moved there, grew up there for a while. We didn't really do too much farming. And my mother passed away. She had lupus. Sorry. No, it's okay. My grandparents moved in, my grandfather and and my grandmother, and he took to it again. You know, he started growing his own fruits and vegetables again, even had a chicken coop, sort of taught me how to slaughter them a little bit. I was a bit squeamish about all that, but he showed me, you know, how it's done. You know, so we raised chickens, had eggs, fresh fruits and vegetables every day. Had so many eggs, I got sick of it. (laughs) He didn't eat them for a couple of years. I just pretty much grew up surrounded around, you know, growing my own food. Not to say that we didn't go and shop, you know, at stores and stuff, but, you know, the stuff that we could grow, we didn't have to go buy. Right. So we never bought a carton of eggs. Everything was just, you know, chickens, chickens. So I did that and then joined the military, graduated high school, joined the military, did that for about five years, came back, got married, all the whole nine, had children and decided to move back to Buffalo because that's where my wife is from. And I started getting the itch to wanting to grow my own food just because it's something that I wanted my children to be a part of also, something you know that I experienced mostly my whole life. And up until that point, they've only seen store-bought food. And I was like, you know, I really want to grow something. We have a large enough yard and a large enough extra room where I can grow stuff. And I started wanting to grow microgreens. I went online and saw that microgreens were a pretty big deal, at least how it showed it online. Uh-huh. And started wanting to grow that, watched a lot of YouTube videos, how to grow it, what I needed to do. So a lot of Farmer Curtis and all that. And from there, I saw not how difficult, there were a lot of barriers to entry in how to grow indoor food. Because I had some space, but it was not enough space that my wife would allow. Right. I started trying to find places that I could maybe rent or, you know, just kind of move it outdoor. Because when I decided to try to do it, it was October of last year, of 2017. And it's already getting kind of cold in Buffalo. So there's no way I can grow it in my backyard or grow it in our garage because it just dips below zero constantly. Right. So, you know, I tried to grow it indoors and just saw just how difficult it was to do that. And it started getting me thinking about indoor farming because I've always thought that indoor farming and vertical farming was a way of the future. I hear a lot about 
people complaining about how are we going to feed the future and how we're running out of land. And to me, it was a clear solution, you know, vertical farming. Right. If everything fails where we don't have enough land, you know, you go indoor and you scale up. So I've always proselytized that, you know, everybody's talking about there's not enough food for people. I'm like, there is, you know, <laughs> you know, we just need to figure out a different way to do it. But there is. And people are scared for no reason. I've always been a proponent of indoor farming. And then I started thinking about how I could make that into a business, you know, and seeing all the barriers that I had. I made myself into the customer where I was thinking, okay, what would work well for me? What kind of a business would allow me to create an urban farm that would benefit me? Mm -hmm. So I started thinking of different business models on how it would work. And what I came up with was to create basically a company, which I called Cubed Root for a couple of reasons there. It was set up kind of like a WeWork. And if anybody's not really familiar with a WeWork, it's a co-working space where people can come. It's really popular in larger cities where people go and they rent out a small portion of an office, a table, or a lounge and just work from there and they can set up their own company or business from there. So that's kind of what I started thinking where if there's a space where people can come and rent out a small place that they wouldn't have to take up all that space in their house. Mm -hmm. And just start growing hydroponically or, or, you know, doing indoor agriculture and just pay a small fee, sort of how WeWork does, and create basically a community of indoor gardeners and indoor farmers where they would have that support system that I didn't have. Because while there is a lot of blogs and online communities, it's really hard to find physical community, you know, with someone you can speak with and learn, you know, hands on. And that's basically kind of why I was like, okay, what would I want in a company if I were to make it? And I thought to myself, I love the YouTube videos, you know, and I like learning on my own time, but I would like to go somewhere where somebody would show me exactly what it is that I'm doing wrong or what it is that I need to do, you know, like point out immediately, you know, no, that's root hair, not mold or whatever. And this is how you have to have the pH. And you can find all that online, but it's another thing when you can have someone there to actually tell you what it is. Yeah, to get it hands on. Exactly. You know, you've been listening to my podcast. I like calling out Epic. Sure. And what I see here is flipping Epic. Oh, thank you. Because what you're really proposing is a indoor community garden. Yes. There's three different ways that I've been pitching it, depending on investors. I've pitched it as an indoor community garden. I've pitched it as an indoor co-farming space. Uh -huh. I've pitched it as a modern grange. I don't know if you're familiar with what granges are. Oh, yeah. Almost nobody knows what the grange is, but they kind of conflate it with a lot of things. But basically what it used to be was a center or a hub for farmers to come together and talk about the day's issues, whatever they were having with food or politics, and also even host events. And that's kind of what I'm also trying to create to where I want to make it in a large enough space, like a large empty retail. And there's a lot of them out there right now. Oh, yeah. Where... It would be outfitted for their small farming cubicles plus event space to where community events can be hosted and issues of the time discussed there. Yeah. So basically just creating that. So, I mean, there's a lot of angles to go at it. And yeah, indoor community garden is definitely one of the pitches that I put it out there as. So how are people receiving this? Everything's really brand new. Like I said, I came up with the idea in November, did the business plan, just going through all the steps. People... 
love the idea. The only ones that seem to be having a harder time with it are investors. It might just be me, the way that I'm probably pitching it. Yeah. They don't see the profit in it. And I maybe that's my problem because I haven't communicated it because I get a little bit more passionate about the societal implications of it. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely profit in it, the way that I've structured it. Everybody loves it. I've spoken with people at Cornell University or the small veteran farmers. They love it. Mm-hmm. I've spoken with other farm incubators. They love the idea. So everybody loves the idea. They haven't really ever heard of anything like this. Nor have I. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of catches me off guard because, you know, I like to think I'm a little creative, but I don't think anything too crazy out of the box most of the times. I beg to differ. This is pretty cool and crazy out of the box. Yeah, thank you. I was recently walking through one of our malls here. We're in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was noticing all of the empty space mm-hmm. that there is in the space. Now, here in Phoenix, Arizona, we have a plethora of sunlight all year round. So, you know, using an indoor space to grow food isn't probably the wisest use of resources for Phoenix, Arizona. Sure. However, Buffalo, New York, your growing season isn't all that long. Nope. And that's a part of the pitch that's in my pitch deck and everything. Just stating how half of the country probably has about six months of growing season. Yep. And that's a really big opportunity because you're talking about six months of lost productivity. I mean, yeah, you can go you can do some sort of season extensions, like growing in a greenhouse, but even that has its limitations because you get to a point where plastic isn't really going to keep out the cold. Right. Especially when it, you're dipping below zero constantly. It'll work in Buffalo, for sure, and other sort of similar kind of cities. So, you know, like Milwaukee's and, you know, Pittsburgh's, you know, New York City's and Boston's and your Maine's. Cold places. Yeah, really, really cold places. And I was even thinking, you know, even maybe hot places that it would probably do a little well there. So maybe in Phoenix, it would probably do a little bit better. If I were to open one up in Phoenix, it'd be a little bit more reasonable to do it where it would be busy in the summer. Yeah. Because I know it gets brutal. Yeah, you end up with cooked vegetables out there. And, you know, if somebody can have that time, you know, what is it, like three months maybe that you guys have like really blistering heat. So, you know, imagine a space you can go and continue your passion for gardening or growing food for that three-month period indoors. And if you want to continue going there, then that's fine. But, you know, it just applies in a, a lot of different environments. You know, and I also see this as solving the retail warehouse issue where, you know, we're getting hundreds or maybe even thousands of stores closing down every week. And we have all this empty retail space that nobody really knows what to do with anymore because it's just retail's kind of dead. You know, you have a lot of the online Amazon and even Walmart doing it too. Right. So you have all this mall space and all this retail spaces that are opening up and there's no way to fill them up. Nobody's going to go in there and try to fill up with toys again. Right. Or clothes. So we got to figure it out. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. I can definitely see that. So let's talk about microgreens. And we've actually had Joseph Martinez on the show, episode 277, talking about his company, Arizona Microgreens. You know, he's growing microgreens here. But for our listeners that don't know what microgreens are, can you tell us what they are? Sure. I know sprouts is kind of a bad word in the microgreen community, but to explain it to people that don't know, basically the sprouts of herbs and vegetables, they're usually harvested between, you know, seven to 14 days. And a lot of them have 
really high nutritional value compared to their fully grown counterparts. And their flavor is packed as well. So a radish microgreen is spicy. Spicy. I didn't realize how spicy radish microgreens were until I grew them and ate them. I love radishes and they have a a mild flavor, but microgreen, it kind of blew me away just how spicy it was. I shoved a whole bunch in my mouth and kind of had to spit it out. (laughs) I've done that before. (laughs) Yeah, so I didn't do that again, but... Yeah, microgreens, like I said, you know, that's what they are. A lot of people use them on dishes like soups and salads, and they also use them as garnish, you know, to change the flavor profile of the food. Yeah, you're really just giving people an easy entry point to grow their own countertop food. Correct. There are options to grow food in your own house, and I suggest people try it out. But the issue with living in an urban environment is that you don't have that much space, you know. Right. I'm lucky enough to live on the fringe of suburbia and urban. So I have a yard where I can actually do that if I wanted to. But there's a lot of people that live in apartments and space is precious. You know, to take up four foot by four foot area just to grow microgreens or, you know, tomatoes every once in a while where it kind of becomes unsustainable. That's kind of what I'm aiming at so that people can say, all right, well, you know, I have my living space and then there's a space down the street where I can go and, you know, get to my space and collect the food that I've been growing and possibly trade with other growers that are in there. So, you know, there's that aspect also of, you know, just the food sharing where, you know, you can have Jane over here growing tomatoes and that's what she's been growing. And the other side of the facility, there's James that's growing onions or or green onions and you have microgreens and you want to trade. So there's that aspect, you know, of food trading that comes with it. And like I said, you know, growing your own food and, and sharing it has a really powerful effect on people. And imagine that 10x where now people have a space that they can grow whatever it is that they grow, you know, whether it's a leafy green that they grew up with culturally on their island, they can't find anywhere else and they can supply to their community that also wants that same sort of leafy green or, you know, just someone that, you know, wants to grow for themselves or or for profit. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Okay. I guess a small one is a real recent one. I promised my daughters I was going to create a little outdoor garden for them for this year and time just slipped away. I just completed it. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to grow anything this year. Uh Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, it's not a big failure. I don't like really disappointing my daughters like that. I just learned that you got to just use your time wisely. And that's something that I sometimes struggle with. Mm -hmm. Trying to manage my time and try to get things out, you know, right on time or whenever they're supposed to be. So I find myself procrastinating sometimes and just getting distracted. So it's something I'm still working on. I'm constantly working on. Yeah. Well, ask your daughters. I'll bet they think it's a pretty big failure, (laughs) right? I mean, I'm going to still try to make the best of it, you know, see if maybe I buy some potted plants and put them in there and we can do that. But yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success, earning my master's degree. I just graduated in May. Congratulations. Thank you. It's just really difficult to do when you have full-time job and full-time family and then try to do full-time school. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that so far. Also doing my time in the military, getting out with the honorable and doing my five years there. That kind of pushed my limits on what I physically thought I could do. So there's that also, yeah. So what drives you? What drives me is 
when I see something that needs to be done, if I have the power to do it, then I do it. So I guess what drives me is like, I guess, innovation and efficiency. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like if I see that there's a group or something that needs to be created, I sometimes not really knowing what needs to be done, just start it. Like I start Facebook groups like water sometimes <laughs> just because I see something there. So like one of the groups I started, I call it Farmers United, where it's a buy and sell group for people on Facebook to get together and sell food that they've grown, you know, either in their yard or in their farm and they can't get rid of it. And just trying to connect people through that Facebook group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if somebody's growing honey, they can put it on my website to sell it. Because if you try to sell something on Facebook, there isn't really an option for food. You know, you have electronics and bikes and cars and stuff like that, but there's nothing really for food. There's garden, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it kind of escapes people where, you know, it gets mixed in with garden equipment and everything. So I was like, oh, well, let me try to see if I could create a Facebook group. Is it a Facebook group or a website? It's a Facebook group. Oh, cool. How do people find that? They could just look up Farmers United on Facebook and it should be on there. Nice. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? A few books that really had an impact on me and how I, I view the world. It's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, that's a powerful one. How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a Dale Carnegie book, isn't it? It is. Really old book. Like I was surprised how old it was and just how the knowledge could really just be still used today. It kind of astounded me. I'm like, this is like from the 20s or 30s. Right, exactly. Almost 100 years ago. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And it's still a really good book to read and to show you how, you know, how you can go about this world making connections. The Richest Man in Babylon. That was a book that my uncle suggested I read and I read that and it's it's a really good book just filled with ancient knowledge as well. Right. Into how to properly just utilize your resources. Self-inspiration books, let's call them. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could call them that, yeah. Powerful books. And, you know, that's one of the things that in our pre-conversation and and really in this interview, I really admire you for is your willingness to step out, you know, take a risk, go back to school, you know, in your mid 30s and get a master's degree. Man, I recently found a college. I can't remember which one it was, but they have a sustainable food master's degree. Okay. And I'm a lifelong learner, man. I love learning. So it was like, wow, maybe I should check it out. And I was absolutely floored at the price. Oh, it's crazy. Astronomical. Yeah. A master's degree, 39 credit hours was going to cost me $29,000. And it's like, you know, how does anybody do that these days? So going back to school and getting your master's degree, what it, what was it in, by the way? I got an international business. Oh, nice. I also have a bachelor's in business. So it just kind of just skewed that way to where it just seemed like the right way to go. How Everything is just interconnected. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the right way to go where, you know, there's business happening in every part of the world. And yep, the degree really emphasized on how different cultures are as far as, you know, negotiations. Oh, right. So a lot of negotiation and uh, contract law and how different countries, you know, handle that sort of aspect of business. You know, they give that perspective and letting you know everywhere isn't the United States, you know. Right, exactly. Certain contracts aren't going to hold up as well as you think they might in China as it will, you know, if you do business in Pittsburgh or something. like that. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I listen to your podcast a lot. A lot of people just say, don't be afraid of failure. And I can't agree with that more. You know, 
I think failure paralyzes a lot of people and where, where they're kind of afraid to step out the box and just get smacked in the head by, by life or reality. But, you know, like you, I'm a lifelong learner. And if, you know, for some reason I'm not able to make it doing one thing, I'll find another way to do it, you know, because learning is forever. There's no real way to fail in learning. You know, you just learn more. Right, exactly. That's kind of the way I look at it. I'm like, just keep learning. That's why I asked that question. Yeah, I mean, I hear it all the time. And I'm like, I'm going to give a really cliched answer to your audience because I know that they hear the same thing. But don't be afraid to fail. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Elias. Thank you, Greg. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? My website, it's called Cubed Root with a K. They can also reach me on almost every social media (laughs) with the same name, Cubed Root. I was pretty fortunate to get all that together. I'm connected through there. So if they want to reach me in person, go to my website and click on the contact me and I'm on there as well as all my personal social media accounts. Perfect. You also have a Kickstarter coming up real soon. Tell us quickly about that. Sure. It's a Kickstarter basically to build the proof of concept to actually create a small facility where I'll be teaching hydroponics and where they would be walked through every step of the way from seed to post harvest. So kind of how I see my larger vision of cubed root is to be yep. just basically kind of cloaked as a workshop seminar where it's going to be six to eight weeks growing lettuce hydroponically. So somebody would pay for a space there and grow their lettuce and we'd help them out and train them every weekend from seed to post harvest, you know, so have them grow it up because there are a lot of hydroponic workshops, but they kind of just do it for a one to two day sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. They don't do a hands-on experience where they're like, this is how you put the seed into the medium. This is what you need to do. And now you keep track of your progress and what you're growing. And towards the end of the growth cycle, you know, have them harvest it. And I'll be hosting a community sort of event where people of the community can come and purchase the lettuce from those farmers or from the students. Yeah. And that way they see that there's actual support in the community for urban farmers and that there's a way that they can make a profit. They might not make a profit maybe doing the workshop because they are learning also, but they can see that by selling their produce, they actually sort of somewhat get like a discount off of the full price of the workshop. Perfect. And we can find out more information on your Kickstarter on your website. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash cubed root. That's cubed with a K. We are also your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago. 
then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.